and we did it clockwise and you know it's it's point seven tenths of a mile to get up a thousand feet and then once you you know you've made it when you see those little those little white and gray birds all start appearing. Oh yeah. You know, if that's funny. if there's one place in the whites where it's most consistent that I've seen gray jays, it's it's on the Hancocks. Yeah. And then Mount Jackson too, right? Jackson, yeah, Mizpah Hut and on Pierce as well. How are the uh, the birds looking these days? Are they looking a little endomorphic or are they looking so fat? Oh, see, that's so sad to me. Like initially when I first encountered them, I fed them like everybody else does, but now that I think about it yeah, like yeah, yeah. damn, poor birds. <laughs> all right do you have your bible out <laughs> yes i do uh, is this confession please lord forgive me i have so mark has never seen the three ages so oh i had um, so he, yeah. he gets uh, a waiver <laughs> yeah so i had a little bird food and um I did. I did. I try. I agree with you. Like we shouldn't be feeding them, but well, it's starting it's to show. So damn, it's my Disney princess moment, Storm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I just and I try not to give them too much, just enough to get them to get in my hand. So they and what they do with this food is they, and I, I'm not leaving. I guess to leave no trace. Don't come at me. But they <laughs> they take this food, and my understanding is is that they cache the food, like they'll wrap it in saliva, and then they they stick it. It's like sticky. They stick it to the back of a tree, and then huh. they have food for the whole winter to make it. Amazing. Well, they found yeah, their little niche. Yeah, they did. So I'm sure that you know, it's a never-ending debate about like, don't feed the gray jays, and, I, and generally I don't, but I did. Sorry. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Woodpecker's studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. All right, Stomp, I appreciate you joining me tonight. I was it was fifty fifty whether I thought you were gonna you were gonna join us. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you, man. It's been hit or miss with me. I'm still pretty sick at the moment, but uh, getting better, getting better. Have you finally like um, been able to confirm that it's not the flu and it's really COVID? Actually, I did uh, I did a couple of tests and they were were positive. So it's been quite the saga over here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. The first two tests were negative, um, and then I. This has been like a two and a half week ordeal right now. Um, yeah. And then I did one last week, and I did one early this week for my snowmobile guiding, and came up positive. And now I got to do one tomorrow. It's like really putting a kink in things, man. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it sucks. I, I mean, all of January is, was a wash for me because of it. Yeah, the whole, all the whole month. Oh yeah, and I'm exhausted too. Um, I saw you got out, and we can talk about what I did. I did get out a little bit, but uh, it's been uh, very tiring. Um, yeah, fatigue. Yeah, it's so. If you haven't got COVID, listeners, it's. I mean, I was knocked out for three days, and then even after that, like for a full week, I had no energy, and then the second I got over that hump, then the cough kicked in. So me and you yeah. will both we'll probably both be coughing the whole time, right? Oh, no question about it. I'll have to do some fancy editing. <laughs> I'll be hit. I'll be hitting the mute button quite a bit. Yeah, I, I'm assuming this was Omicron because it was 
bronchial. It wasn't in my lungs. It was just all sinus and throat, upper throat. So that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah. But and it feels potent. The cough is like right at the very bottom of your throat, right? Yeah, never ending. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. They cooked up a good one, huh? It's brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? It, you may notice this. Like I have a little bit of like smoke coming around me. Like I have a humidifier. Uh, when I go to bed at night, I literally stick that thing and my wife's pissed because I'll like flail around and I like knock the humidifier on the ground and everything's soaking <laughs> wet, but get a humidifier and like stick that thing in front of your face. So yeah. it'll make you feel better. So if anyone's listening and they got COVID, like just slap that humidifier right in front of your face. Yeah. That helps a lot for sure. We've been putting like the um, boiling water on top of the wood stove. Um, wood stove the nightmare without boiling water, man. It just gets so oh, it's so dry, overwhelmingly dry. It's incredible. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, so we're trying to use our wood, like save save some cash on uh, the natural gas, but it's like feast or famine. Like, man. Yeah. Well, this will be a quick one. We'll let you go to bed because I know I, I I'm I feel a lot better now. I'm back to 100. percent But yeah, I get it. It was tough. So we'll we'll do this quick. Eh, no rush. Um. So we we got a couple of notes here. You go first with yours. So yours, the note that you put down here was funny Chaga pick and listener comment. Yeah. Yeah. There was that funny picture that uh, Jimmy Chaga posted about um, a license plate and it said Chaga. And uh, a listener sent in a comment and I figure I'll just read it quickly. She goes, uh, years ago, some dude caught up to me and a friend below the chimney on Osceola. He tried to sell us quote, a thousand bucks worth of Chaga. <laughs> and then after learning, we were apprehensive about the icy chimney. Uh, he ripped my ax out of my hand and sent it straight up the chimney and tossed it back down to me. Guy was hilarious, but not going to lie, kind of freaked me and my buddy out. Ha ha. My memory is hazy, but he kind of looked like that dude. What are the chances this random encounter was the Jimmy Chaga? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised because that would have been right around. The, so it was a few years ago. That was would have been right around the time where Jimmy was going all out on winter four thousand footers and stuff. It's possible, but it, that sounds like out of character for Jimmy. You know, just being you think sort of rude like that or, or yeah, I guess. a little sketchy. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? We'll ask. we'll have to ask him. <laughs> we'll have to ask him. So anyway, um, all right. Well, I have a story I wanted to I wanted to throw in the show openers here. So we're going to do a deep dive on a a hike that um, that I did on the Hancock. So we'll do a little segment. So I won't get into too much detail. But Mark uh, Lindenberg, so Nobby hikes. He's been on a couple of episodes with us. Um, I met him. So we get out of the parking. We get out of the car. You know, right in the parking lot. We start walking. First thing he says, because he must have been listening to a couple like old shows or something. Yeah. And he's like, I listened to the podcast. And he's like, you know what I wanted to ask you? (laughs) And I was like, immediately, I'm like, oh, here we go. Right. So he's like, and he's like, yeah, I was thinking about it. And I was like, oh boy, he's going to start giving me feedback. I don't want to hear it. So he's, he's like, um, you always say this thing about like show notes. (laughs) And he's like, what does that mean? (laughs) And I was right. like, I and it hit me. I was like, there's probably like 12 or 15 boomers that listen to this show mm-hmm. that have no idea what we mean when we say show notes. Yeah, yeah. They're key, too. They're so full of information. Yeah, yeah. So Because Nobby so had, had no, no idea. idea. No clue. Like, which, which that's on brand for him, I think. Yeah, well, today I got a couple of requests for the show notes because I was, I was you know, posting about the uh, hiking pole study and people were like, where are the show notes? <laughs> So that was today. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted huh. to like, 
at first I was like, it's just knobby that's on brand for him that he wouldn't know where the show notes are. But then I was like, well, maybe there's probably other people that don't know. So if you're looking for, whenever we say show notes, when we post the show, we're, whether you get it on Apple or Spotify or you get it, if you get it through Facebook or YouTube, like I don't know what to tell you. I don't know anything about that. But um, other than we post them there, but if you want to get the show notes, like just scroll down a little bit and you'll see there's like links with all the stuff that we talk about. And then if you go to the uh, slasherpodcast.com, S-L-A-S-R podcast.com and you click on any of the shows, you can scroll down on the front page and get to any of the shows. Just double click on the shows and you can um, you get all those show notes. I am going to over the summer, I'm going to hire an intern. <laughs> which I don't, I don't know exactly who that is. I think it's going to be my kid, but I'm going to hire an intern to basically consolidate all the show notes in into categories so that they're accessible, but we'll get there. So it'll be like Slashopedia. Yes, exactly. And Excellent. I'll probably get around to it the same time I get around to merchandise, which I'm, I'm still working on, but <laughs> anyway. Um, so here, and then here's the other thing. So he, then he goes on to tell, so first of all, he doesn't know what show notes are. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to judge him too hard. And I was like, I'll do a PSA. Then he's like, you know what you guys should do? Um, he's like, when you have guests on, you should really like read about them and do research and like read all the books and like really know about them when you get, and I was like, Mark, are you saying we're not doing our homework? Yeah. And he's like, no, no, I'm not saying that. He's like, but you should just read all their books and like really, really research them. And I was like, okay, thank you. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I was like, I'll tell, I'll tell stomp. <laughs> I think we do our best. Yeah, I was like, you know, I've read anybody that's been on. I read their books. You, I don't know. Yeah, you do. The I best just had you to can. laugh. I think uh, in, yeah. interviewing is interesting. Now, you do a pretty decent job. I'm pretty new at the game, but uh, it's it's a challenge for sure. Um, but hey, all right, Navi, we will do our best. Yeah, yeah, we're we're uh, we're we're working on upping our game for you. The same guy that couldn't remember the co-host reel. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. He barely survived Caps Ridge that fateful yeah, yeah. day. But we were we were scheming, so we're we're thinking about we want to get you out for a. I got to talk to my friend Tom, but we were thinking like hundred mile wilderness this summer, or maybe something you know in those main four thousand footers mm. like Mount Spaulding and the and Sugarloaf or some of that area there to the AT. So sounds good. We'll, we'll we'll lock that in hopefully. Lock it in. So lock it in. So you want to talk about the hiking pole study one more time and give a little bit more detail on it? Yeah. So far we've had a handful of submissions and we're really holding out so that uh, we can get a, a good sizable sample. Andy Cannon put together the questionnaire and then uh, made a video demonstrating the balance test. So what we're going to do is just release the results uh, on whether or not polls make a difference or not and, you know, see if there's anything interesting we can glean from it. But they're in the show notes. So check out the show notes if anybody needs help getting there just direct message us on insta or facebook and we'll we'll guide you um and you know we'll probably put up that video again of andy doing the balance test that's a single leg stance test that that ain't easy holding that thing for 60 seconds um yeah no not at all yeah that was the most sensitive test we could find for this this group of people you know this younger cohort that we i'm assuming we work with here but uh yeah Get on there and put in your data. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, and I'll post it on the Facebook. I'm gonna post on the Facebook page, not the group, 
The group is just out of control. It's just all cats. I know. It's so ridiculous. I, I poke around and lurk around every now and then. and like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Like, it's just like somehow it just became this thing where everybody posts cats on it, which is <laughs> it's kind of amusing, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Speaking of cats, Daphne's down here tonight hanging out with me. She loves it. Loves oh, the studio. Cool, yeah. She's a cutie, but uh, yeah, I've been, I haven't been on the Facebook group because I've been weaning myself off of, off of social media, but I actually, this morning, I, I got a funny story. This morning, I posted something, I think I've said this before, but like I, I, I'm into Disney. Like I like going to Disney World. We did family trips and I like, I'm in some of these groups about Disney and mm-hmm. somebody posted something about like, when is Disney going to eliminate their masks? And I'm like, I'm kind of over the mask thing. I know I get it. Like yeah. it should just be voluntary at this point. But right. I wrote something about like, you know, it should be voluntary, whatever. And within like five minutes, I get this reply from someone. Now, mind you, this is a Disney, adult Disney fan Facebook group that I'm in. And I get a reply within like two minutes and it was this lady that was like, oh my God, I can't believe, are you Mike from the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast? I can't believe you're on my Disney group. How'd you figure that out? Uh, She must, I don't know. She must have known who I was. That's interesting. um, (laughs) It's not as cool as being spotted in the parking lot, but I was like, (laughs) it was kind of funny. So shout out to uh, to her. I don't know if she wants me to give her name away and out her as a adult Disney fan. So I won't say anything. (laughs) Very exclusive, tiny club. Yeah, maybe not. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, so we got to get to the the show summary. But before we do that, um, you have another note here about snowboarding. Yeah, my buddy. It's I can't believe it. I've been snowboarding for almost forty years. The first time I was on a board was back in like eighty five. And uh, the reason I bring it up, it's pretty neat. My um, really close friend John Beller is turning fifty on. Um, Valentine's Day, so we're going to try to get out together and uh, shred it like the old days. But there's been a bit of this like renaissance happening here with me, like getting back on the board again, getting all the cobwebs off, and it's been fun. So uh, you know, keep keep a lookout for some videos on that. But forty years, man, we were ripping it up when the boards had wooden like skegs in the middle, and they would break every run. And to like watch the Olympics right now, watching these people like Sean White and all this, it's just a, it's mind blowing what people are doing with snowboarding right now. So, so you you started snowboard. When did snowboarding like become somewhat popular? Mid eight, yeah, mid to early eighties, I would say. I just because I definitely remember, like at a certain point, like they you weren't allowed to go to certain mountains for some reason. Why? Why? What was that? Well, I mean, it was liability for the most part for the larger resorts. So they they established this system where you had to get certified, and um, you know you had to demonstrate you could turn, you could stop, and this and that, and you had to wear a badge with your uh, image on it, and you know uh, it, it spelled out the rules on your license for the day. I mean, it's sort of absurd. Um, I remember it well. I mean, I was actually an instructor back at Loon and uh, Stratton back in these early days, man. It was it was wild. So we went through that whole nonsense of getting certified and licensed. And um, I think these days, for the most part, it's it's accepted as uh, a legitimate 
snow sport on the slopes. But there were some dark days for uh, snowboarding in the early times. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I think, you know, I graduated, I, I'll out myself with age, but I graduated high school in 1990. I skied all through junior high and, and high school and everything. And there was never any, I don't remember snowboarders. I remember vaguely like, it wasn't that big of a thing, but I feel like I went, when I went to college, I stopped skiing for a couple of years. And then when I graduated, I got back into it in like the mid to late nineties. Yeah. And then that's when there was a ton of snowboarders. And then I think like, you know, late nineties into the early two thousands is where snowboard culture just blew up. And it was almost like mm-hmm. there was more snowboarders than, than skiers. True. Yeah, absolutely. And if you haven't seen that documentary, um, uh, Dear Rider, about Jake Burton Carpenter, I really recommend that because it is, you know, if you really want to get a good sense of the history, the early day history, that's a phenomenal documentary. I believe HBO put that out. Um, but yeah, check that out. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'll check that out tonight. I'm, I'm in the middle of what uh, binge watching the Witcher, but I'll, maybe I'll take a break tonight. <laughs> that's a good oh. show. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So I, I tried snowboarding one time, I went, uh, I was like, I'll just go up top and that'll be the best way to learn. And I went up on Wildcat and I just caught a, I caught the front edge and I just slammed my shoulder. To this day, my shoulder is messed up because of that. I think I tore a rotator cuff or, or something. I had to walk down hmm. and then I spent the day in the, in the lodge. Yeah. Not my thing. I like to rip it with the skis. <laughs> um, one other question I had for you, Stomp, before we get into um, the show summary is search and rescue, like new applications, like if you wanted to join a search and rescue team, yeah. is the winter, like do they do anything or is it always like in the, what's the season to like add new members? You know, I, I really can't speak for the process of other teams. I know that other teams will do winter shakedown hikes and I don't know if that means that somebody can just come in as a new member and just get shaken down for winter uh, activities or if they have to be a member for a certain amount of time before they get to a point where they can qualify for winter. Um, I'm not really sure, but it's a year-round process. For us over here on this side of the uh, the notch, you have to be a member for about you know a year or approximately 10 missions or so. And then you'll, you'll submit an, an essay uh, explaining to the captain what your experience level is. And then from there, we'll have... Um, a winter qualifier, which we actually had up at Mount Jackson just a couple days ago. And that that group is like, you know, it's it's mostly for the extreme weather events, like adverse conditions, uh, mm-hmm. you know, blizzards, et cetera, sub-zero, that type of thing. But uh, yeah, as for the other teams, I do know that uh, other teams have just recently had um, shakedowns. So it's a good question. If you're interested in checking it out, I would just contact the teams and get on their website and ask them yourself if you're interested in joining and you're just sort of stuck in this winter time. I mean, you know, PEMI does most of their qualifiers in the summer, but we do have a special subgroup. All right, interesting. So basically, if you're going to join, you're gonna, it sounds like at least in your world, like if you're going to join, you join up in the non-winter season do you shake down hikes yeah yeah and there's a reason for that too because you don't want to get uh stuck in a situation with somebody that may not be a good fit for the team or a team player or just you know you thought you had the experience with this individual and they they don't so the warmer months gives you a good time to get to know somebody before you throw them into more challenging uh circumstances okay when you do these shakedown hikes is it 
everyone has to stay together and people need to keep up? Or do you sort of self-identify to say like, all right, I'm a slower pace. I'm going to go with this group and there's a faster pace that's going to go with this group. Or is it like everyone stays together and you're as fast as the slowest person? More the latter. Yeah. I mean, you're still hiking at your own pace and uh, whatnot. I think the, the, the focus for us tends to be upon pack prep and um, just training on how to use the winter litters as opposed to the summer ones. You know, we use the plastic skid and things like that. So it's not necessarily fastest man to the top. I mean, that doesn't serve much of a purpose. Um, you know, unless you know that somebody's hypothermic, sure, there's that pressure, but it's still hike at your own pace. Be safe. You know, you don't want to overexert for all the reasons that we've talked about ad nauseum, you know, sweat, sweating out and then getting cold and stuff like that. So uh, the same safety factors that we talk about, Mike, apply. Absolutely. Got it. Yeah. Going well, um, eventually I'll move up to New Hampshire. Mm. I'll be on the team with you. <laughs> They'll take one look at me and be like, no, not a good fit. <laughs> I mean, in the winter, we will definitely avoid sending people up solo. We'll, we'll pair them up. We'll, if not, you know, triple them up because that's a whole yeah. other safety level uh, that you want to be aware of too. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a long one here, so we... We said this is going to be a quick show, but we haven't gone through the show opener yet. Yeah. So, no, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, oh, you you got to do sponsors and coffee talk. Yeah, we have uh, a couple. Let's see. We have Keaton S. donated three coffees. Liv from Lawrence donated one. Thank you very much, Liv. And uh, Mindy Olson donated five. And I believe that's Bethlin's friend, right? Yes, Mindy, Mindy. and Bethlin. Hello, Mindy. Hi there. Good to see you. Thanks for donating. <laughs> and of course, um, have you noticed like what is going on with everyone donating from Lawrence? I don't know. It's sort of creepy, huh? No, it's not cr- I love Lawrence. My kids go to school in Lawrence. <laughs> Where do they go? Central. Oh, oh I don't know. Yeah, people yeah. going to say oh, Central yeah. Catholic. Okay. Go, gotcha. go Raiders. So awesome. Yeah. There's some good parts and some good qualities of Lawrence, right? Left. Hey. expose them to all the wonders (laughs) of all the wonders and diversity of the world that's the way i look at it (laughs) right well let me just give a quick plug out to reckless here so special thanks to reckless our sponsor uh best beer up in the north country people where you'll enjoy the best food craft beer and fun just 15 minutes from franconia notch many four thousand footers and less than 10 minutes from the five corners awesome All right. Uh, So welcome to the Sounds Like a Surgeon Rescue podcast. Tonight, we are going to do a highlight discussion on a winter hike on the Hancock. So we'll we'll dive into that and we'll we'll even explore the age old question of snowshoes versus micro spikes. And what is all the etiquette around that? So we'll guide you through the Hancocks, which is one of the more remote mountain ranges in the whites. And we'll also talk about gray jays, butt sledding. And um, Stomp, you're going to need to help me determine whether the Hancocks is an easy hike or a hard hike. There's no in between. It's either easy or hard, and we'll 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 figure that out. Um, in addition to the deep dive on that recent hike, um, we've got some cleanup to do. We missed a couple of topics about through hiking with Matt last week, and uh, so we'll we'll revisit that, and then we'll review some recent search and rescue news, and we might have a little bit of. New Hampshire history, and then Stomp, are we going to do avalanche talk, or do you want to hold that for the next episode? Oh, we can hold on that. That's fine. 
there's been a some okay. activity though for sure people should be aware of okay all right so we'll hold on that maybe there'll be one or two more snowstorms that can really get the avalanche stuff kicking yeah all right so i'm mike and i'm stomp let's get started all right uh so hopefully you're not drinking any beer and you're drinking like uh robitussin or something no, i'm having like a hot toddy it's a okay. miracle drink is that acceptable clear your lungs yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's drink. it's actually really interesting my mom gave me this amazing recipe and uh at first i was hesitant about the ingredients but uh it's actually really good not bad like a little honey and the that your nasal passages clear up so how about you bitter well hold on now i'm curious <laughs> like i feel like if i was going to make a hot toddy that was for covid i feel like bitters would be involved yeah i don't bit. even know what bitters is i just know it's like a, something you put in your drinks right yeah there's a there's a percentage of like a um, lemon so you're you're supposed to put actual lemon uh slices into this so it's boiling water uh okay. a degree of uh whiskey or bourbon or whatever you use and uh honey okay and uh the combination's pretty cool it, it actually um Back a, several days ago, it broke my fever. Really? Like, it was the first thing that broke my fever. Yeah. So, good job, Mom. Okay. Thank you, uh, <laughs> Grandma Stomp. <laughs> right. Are you drinking anything? I am, yeah. I got, um, I think it's the Notch Brewery. Is that what it is? The Notch? Um, huh. I don't know what the brewing company is. I think it's Notch, and it's left of the dial. Interesting. And it's an American Session Beer IPA. wonder what notch. I wonder if they're in Franconia. I don't know. Somewhere. I'll have to do some research. Huh. Interesting. I'm assuming it's Notch Brewing Company. Yeah. The the word, the link, uh, the writing is too too small for me to see. I have to do that old person thing where you like take a picture with your iPhone <laughs> right. and then zoom in. <laughs> you haven't gone to the readers yet? Well, I have readers, uh, but I actually, <laughs> matter of fact, I got the readers here. Um, but I, I wear contacts. Okay. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I do the yeah. reader thing. Oh my goodness. Fun. Sucks getting old. <laughs> Sucks getting old. Cool. Um, all right. So I think, uh, so we got our beer talked on recent hikes. I hiked the Hancock loop. We're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive on that one in a few minutes. So Stump, why don't you talk about, um, what you did up on, up on Welch? Yeah, I was, um, let's see, I, I went up to Welch and then back down the, the boundary bushwhack way that I typically tend to go. So it was just, um, uh, you know, deep snow breaking trail for, or breaking powder in the backwoods. So that, that was nice. Uh, just a quick little thing. Cause I really still not feeling too hot. Um, people have seen me post pictures of those boundary markers. Those markers just surround the entire White Mountain National Forest and they, they can actually be really fun to follow if you do your research. Yeah, and I, do you, when when you hike well, uh, well Sticky, do you like leave right, and I don't want to give away exactly where you live, but you live pretty close by. Can you like just walk out of your house and get there or do you still need to drive a little bit to down by the line? I can walk, yeah. There are, there are like these abandoned trails that are accessible from my place. I could still walk. It would take me maybe 10 minutes to get to the trailhead, maybe five, five or 10 minutes if I went to the actual trailhead. But there are these like old trails that are everywhere around that neighborhood that go straight up. Um, They're more or less abandoned, Uh, but people use them all the time for skiing and, you know, snowshoeing this and that. Um, 
Yeah, that's what I figured, man. That is such a cool area. It's really neat. It, it never gets old. Um, it was funny. There's at the Overlook. I call it the Overlook. It's that little open expanse, quarter mile below the summit of uh, Welsh. This, I believe they were German. This couple, they it was like three thirty in the afternoon. This guy had a fanny pack. They had no uh, headlamps, nothing, and they were going up to Welch. And I actually said, you know, you guys should consider turning back. They didn't have snowshoes. It was just after that big storm, uh, the first storm that we had uh, about a mm-hmm. week ago. And um, they just decided to go. So I just, that's where I went back down uh, and went back country, but they went up and uh, who knows the mystery. <laughs> we didn't hear that. They're not on the, they're not on the show script. Yeah. The search and rescue. Yeah, that's news. true. That's good. But you know, honestly, it's yeah. like, it was cold too. And I'm sure you'll talk about that during your hike, but it's been really, it's warm now, but the last several days have been super cold. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good that you got out. And I think, um, yeah, I had to I'm losing my mind. I did the same thing. Like I was still feeling it from COVID, but I got out during the the big storm that we had down here. I just went out like in the middle of it and I did like a four mile walk just, and I f- it felt like I was so dry inside the house yeah. that I just had to get out. Oh, the cold air is wonderful too. I mean, I, I found that I was sort of coughing when I was done, like that post exertion uh, coughing fit, but the whole time out, it was beautiful. It was great. It actually seemed yeah. like it cleared up my lungs for that time. It is. And yeah. there is just something about, and I mean, we talked about this with Martin around like the staying young. There's just something about, even if you're not feeling the greatest, just, just getting outside a little bit and getting moving. It's, it just does wonders for you. I remember when I came back, I was like, oh yeah, I, I, I feel a lot better than I did when I was sitting inside the house doing nothing for three or four days. Yeah, absolutely. Within reason. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't push it too hard, but um, all right, so that's good stuff. So, Stomp, hopefully you'll... My my advice to you is rest up this weekend, yeah. and then we'll be back at it the following weekend, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. I'm looking forward to getting out. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's transition into our first segment, which is uh, last week we connected with Matt, uh, and he was great. So he gave us a whole rundown on the Appalachian Trail, but I noticed, like, I was looking through the notes even though Nobby says like I should do more research and planning, like I, I had a ton of notes yeah. and we missed a couple of things or we didn't dive into a couple of things that I wanted to with Matt. So uh-huh. I, I want to see if I can get him back on again, um, maybe during the PCT hike or something, we can give us an update. But um, one of the big things that I forgot to, I forgot to cover with him that it's like one of the biggest things is he, him and his wife run a trail magic set up in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's a long trail section or if it's the AT, but they keep like a, um, like a cooler full of like soda and stuff at the trail junction. So Interesting. one of the things about through hiking is that you will run into this like trail magic culture. So um, we didn't really talk that much about it, but it's kind of pretty cool. Like you can, I don't think you want to rely on it, but I think trail magic started like a long time ago with like people just randomly former through hikers would just hit the trail and give people like candy or food or whatever at the, at the road crossings. And now it's kind of blown up to the point where people like plan their whole lives around, like just following the through hikers and giving them trail magic. Oh, it's such a boost too psychologically for people. Yeah. Have you ever gotten trail magic? Yeah, actually Um, not related to the AT, but when my wife and I were doing this mega long, uh, was it, you know, I have to think of it. It was a, uh, 
a Bonds. It was definitely a Bonds Traverse, but I can't recall if we were coming in from Lincoln Woods or if we were coming in from the hut. But needless to say, it was a super duper long day. And then we ended up coming down, you know, over the Twin Way, down um, uh, South Twin, and then down, what is it, Gale River Trail? one of those trails back out Mm -hmm. and um, a good friend was waiting there at the end for us um, with uh, iced tea and just grilled food. It was absolutely amazing. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. I got, they had, when I, when I had Grafton Notch, when I came out of Grafton Notch there, that we saw two different groups. So there's there's like people that drive um, campers and they just wait at the, the trailhead. So there was like two separate groups of, of trail magic people. And I, I, me and Tom had just done like a section hike for three days, but they got so excited when they saw us walk out of the woods. Like they had uh, fruit and soda and even some beer. I didn't have any beer, but they, they, they had all kinds of stuff like Cheez-Its too. Oh yeah. Oh my God. When you're like on trail, like oh. a thing, I had like two things of Cheez-Its and a Coke. It just tastes amazing. It was the best. Yeah, yeah. So Pawsey and his wife do do a lot of trail magic. And then when you do through hiking, you know, I guess this is some controversy. Like it used to be that trail magic was actually like spontaneous and like you couldn't expect it. But now I think for the most part, especially like when it when April hits in and then the bubble goes through certain towns, like I think people plan their weekends around like let's make sure that we got trail magic set up and people will set up grills and food and all kinds of crazy stuff at the road crossing. So I think people <laughs> People sort of get entitled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it up at um, uh, Lost River or anything like that, but maybe I'm not looking. I've seen plenty of AT hikers coming through, but some places may be more attended to than others, I would think. Yeah, and I think the deal with New England is that, like, they'll—, they'll so the other thing about through hiking is there's this thing called the bubble. So the bubble is where like the bulk of the hikers are. Mm-hmm. And some people try to get in front of it. Some people will stay behind it. Some people are right in the middle. But like you can go online. Matter of fact, I'll include in the show notes, there's like a projection. There's like this website that actually projects the dates that the bubble will hit certain areas. So mm-hmm. um whenever I'm hiking near the AT, if I know that it's like the bubble or whatever, like I'll I'll be up in I'm trying to think where I've seen through hikers like, you know, I've seen, I've seen them on Franconia. I've seen them on the presidentials. Like I'll always, if I can, I'll grab a couple extra like Snickers bars or something and always have them available. And then I'll, I'll give, give candy bars away to the through hikers. That's about the extent of what I've done. Mm-hmm. Do you know how to spot a through hiker when you're, when they're, you're hiking? <laughs> this sounds like a joke. This sounds like a tick joke. Is this a joke that you're going to no, drop not, on no. me here? No, no, just just sort of, sort of some tips, or at least my opinion on how I can tell <laughs> the difference between a regular hiker and a through hiker. I, you know, I look for the pack. I mean, they've got a monster pack generally, and they look pretty ragged. Boots are ragged. Yeah, shorts. You know, I, I don't know. They they get a look about them. They look a little scruffy. Yeah, exactly. Look at the sneakers. Then number one, and then the other thing too that is a telltale sign is if they have uh, Crocs hanging off their backpack. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and then the other thing is, although it wasn't as big of a deal, but a lot of them will have the tag. You know that tag that you get down in uh, at Springer. Yeah. There's like a, it's usually like a uh, like a triangle or a diamond shaped tag. Gotcha. That will it gives the number like you're the number thousand through hiker that came through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll have that dangling off. 
And then the guys will have beards. Most, almost all of them have crazy beards. And gators too, like summer gators. I want to say that a lot of them use gators. They do. Yeah, yeah. that's true. They have those little tiny, those little dainty gators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my share of pickups, uh, hitchhikers. I do my I do my best to pick them up. I mean, it's like one thing I'll do if I see somebody with a pack, it's an automatic. Okay, come on, yeah, hop in. Yeah, me too. I haven't picked up too many through hikers. I did tell you I picked up this guy. I think I told the story on like one of the first shows that I picked a guy up that like took a wrong turn and ended up on the Mount Washington Auto Road, and he came down. He's like, I got to get back to Appalachia. Is that is that a long hike <laughs> or a long walk? And I was like, Yeah, dude, get in. <laughs> That's a hell of a hike. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> he was happy. So, all right. So the other thing that we, we talked a little bit about this, but like shaking down gear. So I think one of the big things that through hikers, it's pretty common. Like Matt's story was that he didn't really have a ton of experience hiking. And he it sounds like he did pretty well with like his initial gear selection. But my experience is that a lot of folks make a lot of mistakes when they when they start the trail they usually will start too heavy and they'll they'll do a shakedown of their gear and they get rid of a bunch of stuff so there's yeah. there's um hiker boxes in town where people can leave stuff that they don't need and uh, the the whole gear the whole deal with through hiking is that you want to optimize your weight some people get crazy with it and they get down to their base weight is like eight pounds or seven pounds or something but wow, I, I usually get amazing. around 12 12 and a half incredible yeah. And does that stay consistent straight through Maine if you're going northbound as the weather gets colder? Are you, you, I'm assuming you're adding possibly as the weather starts to go south. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. There was certainly a lot of people that were, um, that were still coming through in September when we were hiking in Grafton. I think it was September, maybe it was August, but there was still a lot of people coming through. So I'm assuming that like the really late hikers would have to swap out their quilts and go with heavier bags yeah, and maybe a heavier jacket or something. I would think so. And then a couple of notes here. So I had, I think Matt had mentioned like, I had asked him like, was he a shelter rat or was he into tenting? And I'm not sure everybody understands what that means. Um, Stomp, do you want to just describe what a typical at shelter looks like and what the what the layout is oh sure yeah i mean around here you'll you'll see a shelter that's open faced you have three walls a roof and it's elevated up off the ground there's a usually a fire pit and uh basic rudimentary um stuff for through hikers that come through yeah yeah and usually there's like a um a lot of times there's a shelter and then there'll be tent platforms or there'll be like a flat area where you can set up a bunch of tents and then it's pretty easy to find a hammock spot. And then typically there'll be a privy and then a, um, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And then there'll typically be a water source pretty close by. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are hit or miss. I mean, some of them are in decent shape and some of them are pretty, mm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the ones in New Hampshire are pretty nice, and the ones I've been to in Maine are pretty good size and pretty well established. I don't know about like down south. Like, I feel like those probably get a lot more traffic because people do drop. That's the other thing is like a lot of times people they'll drop in Virginia or they'll just you know they, they, life happens or they just find out that they hate hiking mm -hmm. and they they disappear. So the people that actually make it up to New Hampshire are like a small percentage of what actually starts on the trail yeah yeah so um the other thing that i didn't cover with him in too much detail is 
If you're interested in learning about the Appalachian Trail, um, one of the things that you can do is check out YouTube and there's a number of social media hikers that are pretty famous that actually have some pretty good videos that can break it down. Um, do, you, do you know any, do you follow anybody on YouTube or any, you don't do social media stuff, do you, Stomp? Um, not specific to the AT, um, maybe a handful of people. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll link the people like, so the, the big one, the biggest social media hiking person on YouTube is this girl, this lady named Dixie. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she's got millions of viewers. So she, I think she like has a full-time job as just being a, a hiker. Yeah. I get, I get a kick out of um, just our friends and acquaintances that are section hiking the AT rather than the AT, you know, the full, full through hiker experience. I get a lot of that. I see that, uh, you know, Daniel Maple, for instance, and a few others. Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. But there's yeah. like there's like two big ones. Dixie and Darwin are like the two big social media. And then there is a local hiker named, uh, the, her trail name's New Hampshire Hiker. And I tried to reach out to her to see if she'd come on the show. I'm going to try to, you should. if anybody knows her, New Hampshire, if you're listening, I want I, we, we want to talk to you. So um, hopefully she'll, she'll come on. And then there's one of the lady named Braves that I followed. So I'll put, I'll put those links in the show notes. And if anyone's interested, they actually do a, I would say I've watched hundreds of these videos with like social media through hikers. And those are about the only four that have ever like captured my attention for more than like five minutes. Mm-hmm. So, but that's it. Anything else we missed about through hiking stomp? God, yeah, it's a deep topic. It's probably one that we should uh, explore a little more regularly. But uh, yeah. I think we did a good job with Matt, and thanks, Matt, for coming on again. That was a good uh, good show. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. All right, so on to segment two, which is we'll talk a little bit about um, a winter hike on the Hancock. So have, how many times have you hiked the Hancock's? Just once. I know you've been in that area a ton, though. I've done a lot of bushwhacking, like uh, the Huntingtons and things like that. But I've I've only done the loop, the traditional Mount Hancock, South Hancock loop off the Kank once with my wife. Uh, it's been a long okay. time. We've done a couple rescues. And it's actually, like whenever we get a call for that area, it's like, yes, because they're always on that long Hancock Notch Trail, which is like two, mm-hmm. three, what, four miles long, essentially. Yes. Uh, so that's always a blessing, but um, only once. How about you? Was this your wow. first time out there? No, no. Okay. I've been out there. This is my fourth time, I think. Gotcha. So, yeah, I've been out there a lot. And huh. I was like, the reason I picked it was because I was looking at my, I'm trying, I'm, I don't really care that much, but I was trying to get some winter 4,000 footers because I have, I think I got 27 now. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I might as well just finish that list. So I've been picking away at it over the winters for the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. I was like, I, I haven't done, I did the Hancocks in the snow in April and then I've done it over the summer and the fall, but I've never done it in like actual winter. So I, I was like, I'm going to do it. So Mark <laughs> said he would join me. So my plan was I was nervous about the parking and the lot was not plowed, but you could get in. But I was more nervous about um, getting there late and not being able to get a spot. But what I didn't realize about the parking lot is that people all park on the road mm-hmm. on, on the kink, which I didn't know you could it's do that. Tough. I was always nervous that you get like pulled over or you get like, towed or something but everybody was parking on the on the road it's super tough it, it fills up so fast 
Yeah, yeah. But we we got there. I, I left my house. I forgot my gators, so I had to turn back around. But I still got up there. I was going like 85, 90 the whole way. I got up there <laughs> pretty quick. There was no police on the road. You probably would have been fine without gators, I'm thinking. A lot of it tamped down. Everything was tamped down. But you know what I was thinking was the last time I was up there in the snow, the 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 trail from north to south is pretty flat and it gets a ton of like um um what's that called um loading effect wet snow. wind loading and all that yeah like yeah like those the snow blows across the trail yeah uh, snow flows or whatever yeah they um, they can get deep so yeah drifts that's what I meant so thank God if we found that because if not Al our friend Al was going to message me and say I got the word wrong um. <laughs> But the, um, so I ended up getting the gators. I turned around and got them, but I met Mark at the, at the lot at 630. It was about minus nine degrees, but I, it was, it was no wind. I saw that. I was looking at the temps going, Ooh, they got a cold one in store for them. Yeah. It didn't factor in at all. It didn't factor it in at great. all. Cause there was no wind and you're sheltered. Yeah. It felt great. Yeah. So we, the only thing that it affected was I did start with, one, I had my fleece and then I used a soft shell jacket. So I started a little warmer than I would have otherwise. But other than that, mm-hmm. I took the soft shell off and then I was in the fleece the whole time until we got up top. Yeah. I mean, you guys are starting out at roughly like 2000 feet elevation. Correct. Yeah. yeah correct. So it's a little cooler. So the Hancock trail is on the King, the King of Mangus highway. It's right at the hairpin turn on the Lincoln side. You go right across the street. There's a nice there's a nice picnic table there, so you can get your snowshoes on. For us, it was no debate at all. It was like we're putting snowshoes on, mm-hmm. and we'll assess whether or not we take them off and switch to spikes. But the trail conditions were such that it was packed down, but it was loose on top. So if you had gone with spikes, you would have been you would have been okay, but you would have been sinking in probably about four to five inches every time you took a step. Which is tiring, and it yeah. would have been the it would have been the exactly it would have been the equivalent of like walking in sand barefoot sure yeah i get that yeah so that was our decision point was we were like okay it's much better to be in the snowshoes it was well packed down and the, there was one group ahead of us that was in snowshoes as well so we were packing the trail down again yeah and we you know made our way in and i would say the beginning part of the hancocks is like 3.3 miles where you go um i think it's the hancock loop trail and then you connect to cedar brook but it it's very much like lincoln woods it's just flat and straight for a long distance Mm -hmm. so it's not a lot of work which is great so for me that's an easy it's an easy hike from that perspective where it gets difficult is when you get to you basically get to this little valley where you're overlooking you can see north hancock and North Hancock has a huge open slide called the Arrow Slide. Is it the Arrowhead or the Arrow Slide? The arrow Slide. It's the Arrow Slide. Yeah, it's a beauty. Yeah, exactly. So, and it looks tempting. I was like thinking, I was like, well, you know, Mark, we could try to get up there, mm-hmm. but avalanche risk is not, not good. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. I'm sure it was covered for the most part, but generally there's one hell of a uh, an ice covering underneath there. It's a very wet slide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, uh, the trail goes to the right side of the slide. Mm-hmm. I will say in the summertime, if you get it on a good day, as you're approaching that section, if you're interested in actually hiking up 
the arrow slide instead of going up the the um, the Hancock Loop Trail to North. Mm. I highly recommend that as a hike. It's a little bit sketchy, a little bit dangerous because it is open slab and it does stay wet, but it, it's maneuverable. Like I took my daughter up there, yeah. so it's not it's not that bad. Yeah, I talked to Jack Daly about that hike quite a bit. He's done it a number of times. I've yet to do it. It looks like a lot of fun. He had a close call up there, if I remember correctly. So that wet slab can be tricky. So you got to be careful, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It's a no fall zone. Like if you go, you're, you're going, right. that's it. So you do have to, it's a little bit of a scary situation. But in winter, I think the only people I know that have ever done any winter activity on the slide was Casey and Jimmy Chaga. They hiked it and then snowboarded down um, a couple of times on that, on that slide. Yeah crazy bastards which is crazy but anyway so (laughs) snowshoes in um it's an easy trail you get to the little river crossing right before you get to the approach to north hancock you can see this the slide right in front of you then you have a a 1000 foot climb that gains in i think it's 0.7 miles seven tenths of a mile right so it's straight up basically um you know it's it's sort of like it reminds me of the flume slide trail a little bit, like you're in the woods, but it's pretty steep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the nice thing was, is me and me and Mark had like he was he was giving me some background about his his work, and we were talking about some other stuff. So we stuck together, and we were talking the whole time. And the other nice thing about this was the people in front of us, they were wearing snowshoes, and they broke out the trail with kick steps with the snowshoes, yeah. which was perfect because it was literally like walking upstairs the whole time. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that works out yeah, good. So, yeah, and we just tried to match their steps so that we would build in those steps even better over time. Yeah, so if you if you approach this loop clockwise, you're ascending 0.7. If you're doing a counter, it's 0.5. What was your discussion with Mark regarding which direction you were going to tackle this loop? Because I actually did this counterclockwise with my wife uh, when we did it. I had told him that my recommendation would be to go north, uh, because that's the only direction I've ever gone. Mm-hmm. And I also sort of in my mind thought that like the butt sledding down, uh, the south is steeper. And yeah. I was like, I'd rather descend that on the off chance that we could butt slide down. Maybe it'll be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So, and I always just recommend going up north first because it's just, th- those are where the, the really nice views are, in my opinion, out to the, out to the Pemi. Yeah. And for those crazy people that want to get a lay of the land here, from South Hancock, if you look directly east, maybe northeast, it heads right over to the captain. (laughs) So that's one hell of a bushwhack, let me tell you. I've not done that, but that was one approach I was considering some time ago. But uh, yeah, It's it's an amazing area. And back to remoteness... Before they built the Kank, this was considered the most remote part of the White Mountain National Forest until it was made accessible by the uh, the Kank. That's pretty neat to think about. And uh, if you get past the loop and follow Cedarbrook and get really deep into the Pemi Wilderness, there's some beautiful, beautiful wilderness in there. Just awesome. Yeah, and I'm actually like, me and you should, one of the things I want to do is explore that Cedar Brook Trail down a little yeah. deeper and go out to the Pemi from that way, and then maybe look at like Northwest Hancock, which is a little, like a peak that's a little farther 
along the the drainage there so yeah. there's definitely a lot of exploring out there but we did and we did it clockwise and you know it's it's point seven tenths of a mile to get up a thousand feet and then once you you know you've made it when you see those little those little white and gray birds all start appearing oh yeah you know if that's funny. if there's one place in the whites where it's most consistent that I've seen gray jays, it's it's on the Hancocks. Yeah, and then Mount Jackson too, right? Jackson, yeah, Mizpah Hut, and on Pierce as well. How are the uh, the birds looking these days? Are they looking a little endomorphic? Or are they looking so fat? Oh, see, that's so sad to me. Like initially, when I first encountered them, I fed them like everybody else does. But now that I think about it, yeah, like yeah, yeah. damn, poor birds. <laughs> All right. Do you have your Bible out? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, is this confession? Please, Lord, forgive me. I had, so Mark has never seen the three AJs, so oh. I had... Um, so he, yeah. he gets uh, a waiver. <laughs> yeah, so I had a little bird food, and um, I did. I did. I, try, I agree with you. Like, we shouldn't be feeding them, but... Well, it's starting it's to show. So damn, it's my Disney princess moment, Storm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So um, I just and I try not to give them too much, just enough to get them to get in my hand. So they and what they do with this food is they, and I, I'm not leaving. I guess to leave no trace. Don't come at me. But they they take this food, and my understanding is is that they cache the food, like they'll wrap it in saliva, and then they they stick it. It's like sticky. They stick it to the back of a tree, and then huh. they have food for the whole winter to make it through. Amazing. Well, they found yeah, their little yeah, niche. So yeah, they did. So I'm sure that, you know, it's a never-ending debate about, like, don't feed the gray jays. And generally I don't, but I did. Sorry. <laughs> oh. Anyway, but um, so there's that. And then the thing is, so as you approach the, the, the true peak of North Hancock, there's a little spur trail that gets you to a little opening that you can view out to the, the Pemi Wilderness and you can see like Franconia Ridge, you can see Owl's Head, you can see the, the Lincoln Slide, gets you a nice view out there. And normally in the summer, I would come up that way on the slide and then there's a little herd path that you cut through to get you to the the peak i was sort of thinking about like oh maybe me and mark could cut through that little herd path go down to the very top of the slide get some better better views but it wasn't even worth it it was because we were going to see the same view yeah that's an interesting thought though yeah but it's neat to have the the slide below you as you're taking pictures yeah you know yeah exactly but it was it looked a lot steeper in the winter than i recalled hmm yeah, interesting. So I just said, forget it. But then we hung out, took some pictures. Then the the trail from north to south is pretty flat. It's a little bit of like, what do you call those, puds? Yes, purposeless. Pointless up and downs. Ups and downs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so a little bit of that. You know, I think you drop about two, 300 feet. Then you got to come back up. But the nice thing about hiking the Hancocks in the winter that I'd never seen before is that as you make your way to... Um, I guess that would be the east, and you look out, you can actually get some really good views of, um, I think it was like um, White Wall and the back of like Willie, Tom, and Field, and then you can see the presidentials very easily. Yeah. All right, so say that so, again. So you're looking more like southeast? Um, so you're going, it's almost like due east. So if you're you're, you're leaving... 
North Hancock, and then you almost take a, a hard right, and then you're wa- you're going. Yeah, I guess it's a little bit southeast. Yeah, and then as you're walking, it's like a flat tabletop situation. Got it. And then you can look over and see Willie Tom Field, and you can see I think it's White Wall, or maybe it might be Jackson. Um, that slide there, and then you can see the presidentials pretty easily. Yeah, it's awesome, awesome area. Yeah. Which you cannot get that view in the in the fall or the, um, or the summer just because everything's grown in, and then you make your way over to um, South Hancock, and that is where you are looking right at. Um, you know, you can see the captain, and you can see um, Mount Carrigan as you come over, and then it gives you a nice view into um, the Sandwich Range. You can see Chicora pretty prominently. Yeah. So even though it's not like there's no expansive views, there's so many good peaks, uh, little, you know, not peaks, mountains, but peaks for your eyes that you can take a lot of great photos and you can see a lot of different perspective from an area that's almost like dead center in in the whites. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I highly recommend it. And then the highlight of the entire hike was the ascent down south. I told Nobby, I was like, look, he had these um, Tubbs snowshoes that were like 32 inches. I don't know how big they were. They were way bigger than mine. And I was like, look, you're going to have a hard time coming down. I said, just be prepared that you're going to need to use the trees and it may be safer for us to just butt slide depending on how steep it is. I said, I don't even know if we're going to be able to because it's going to be too steep. Mm -hmm. I had worn my shell pants and um, we went down maybe a couple of hundred feet and it was just so apparent that there was no way that we were going to be able to get down that safely without like sort of scooting on our butts. Yeah. And then pretty quickly we realized we were like, it's absolutely perfect conditions for butt sledding. So the, the trails were packed down and there was enough of a sidewall on either side that we were able to just literally just go And that half a mile. Yeah. We got done in like, Probably about five minutes, three minutes. And there was one section where we went from maybe two, two and a half minutes straight that we didn't even stop. Hmm. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it was like one of the best butt sledding experiences I had. The other one I had was on Valley Way when we hiked with you guys. Mm-hmm. This was way better because it was steeper and faster and we would just fly in. That's awesome. Cool, man. Yeah. Sounds like so. a good time. Oh, it was fantastic. We were like, we were like screaming like little 12 year olds. So did you keep your snowshoes on while you were butt sledding? Yeah. 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 So we kept our our snowshoes on and they lifted the snowshoes up so that the very bottom of the snowshoes where the crampons are not in. Sliding like a ski. They they were just sort of controlling. They were picking up snow as we were going down, which controlled our speed a little bit. And then we were also picking up snow on our butts, which slowed us down a little bit. But it was like the perfect snow amount to keep us regulated where we were just flying. And it was also, we didn't have to get up Mm -hmm. to, um, we didn't have to get up to stop a bunch of times because we were just able to keep going the whole time. (laughs) Good call. That's awesome. Yeah. And then we got down towards the bottom, then we had to stand up. And the second we did, these two guys came up with a dog and they were coming up south and I immediately uh, I was like it's going to be tough for you guys to get up and I looked at the dog and I was like I don't know what's going to happen but I I almost like was going to tell him like you're almost like wasting the best day of your life if you if you're going up this way you should be going the other direction because you can butt slide down but I didn't want to I was like not my business right huh 
So, and then that was it. We just hauled up. We just hauled our way out of there. We were like on our way back by eleven, maybe ten thirty or so, because mm-hmm. we got on trail at like seven. That's amazing. And then we were we were done by twelve fifteen. Wow, cruising. Yeah, it's a quick one. Yeah. yeah so, Here, yeah. It, well, it was ten miles. Right, and most of it. Well, a good portion of it is fairly flat. Yeah, it's three point three miles out. And you get a thousand feet of gain, and then it's 0.7 tenths of a mile or seven tenths of a mile up, and then you got to go across that section there. So it's ten miles total, but like probably eight of it is flat huh. or flattish. Well, that's awesome. If you're if you're interested in, go, in going back there at some point soon, it's like in my um, my Mount Huntington uh, series quest. The next one is Mount Huntington. It's it, like if you look at the map where Cedarbrook branches off, you have the mm-hmm. um, Hancock Notch Trail. Um, yep. Mount Huntington is more or less a backcountry bushwhack. You're heading straight south off of the Hancock Notch Trail. If you're up for something like that, it would be a hybrid. It would be half trail, half bushwhack. But what's great about this weather is like, you, you know, you're wearing snowshoes straight up to the summit and then you just follow your track back out. So it's actually pretty simple. Uh, but that's the next on my yeah. list. Yeah, let me know. I mean, if if you if you're feeling better, we could do that maybe in two weeks. But mm. the I can tell you that the Hancock Notch Trail, which you know, you bear a left to go up to the Hancock Loop Trail, but the Hancock Notch Trail, if you continued on, I took a look at that. I'm always scoping it out, and I was thinking about like, okay, did anybody anybody go that way? Nobody. And it was not broken out. No, nope. it was broken out by someone that was using using you know having a bathroom break, and that was it. Yeah. No, I get it totally. I mean, there's different ways to do it, but all in all, you're looking at short mileage from that first junction. Uh, over, I mean, actually, at that junction. You could go right directly south uh, east up um, a gully straight towards Mount Huntington. That's a big one, thirty yeah. seven hundred feet. Yeah, I see, but it almost looks like um, if you so if you go another mile up, then you're right at the closest section of the peak, and it looks yes. like there may be like a big open spot there too on the map. Yeah, it looks fairly open. Looking at open woods and everything else. Yeah, yeah, it's literally like it's it's about a three tenths of a mile from the trail to get to the top. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So I would do that. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that yeah. in a little bit more detail. Um, good stuff. How did, uh, Nobby do? Yeah. Did you, was he, did he forgive you for kicking his butt on your, uh, your triple crown finish there? Yeah. Yeah. So we were like, it was perfect. Cause I was like, um, you know, we're just, I wasn't in shape cause I haven't run in the last couple of weeks. And we just stuck together. We were, he was talking about the podcast a little bit. And then we were talking about just personal stuff and Mm -hmm. um, he had gotten COVID as well. Yeah. So we were comparing notes on COVID. (laughs) So we we were talking the whole time. That's great. It was great. Good time. It was great. Yeah. So good time. Nobby looking forward to getting back out there with you again. He's a good guy. Um, Last thing that came up is, so me and me and Mark were coming back again. We used snowshoes. It was the correct gear for, um, for the day, a bunch of people we saw that were sort of early coming in there, they had snowshoes. And then as we got down about two, three miles from the trailhead and it was getting later in the day, we started seeing a bunch of people coming up with like, um, micro spikes, no snowshoes. Yeah. 
And I don't say anything to anybody. It's not my business or whatever. But it is like they're burning a ton of energy because they're sinking in. They're sort of hacking up the trail. And, you know, I was just sort of wondering. I was like, okay, well, it's it's 12 o'clock. You're sinking in with with your micro spikes. You know, only one of you has a backpack. There's two people that don't have a backpack. And you're, you know, you're not really wearing the greatest gear. Like, it gets dark out by five five thirty. Is Stomp gonna have to come and save you? But I don't see anything because I just people make it out, or they or they maybe they're not going to hike the whole mountain. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There are different factors. That's a tricky one because you know this is the first big snow that we had, but it tamps down to a reasonable base of gushy, you know, three or four inches of snow. So I mean. In my mind, you could do either or. I don't think you're pissing off the the purest uh, anti-post holers by wearing spikes. But what you said about yeah. the energy level, yeah, you're going to be working harder. But there are those people that want that challenge, you know. So it's a tough one this time of the year with this this type of condition. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, as as I get older, I I opt for the snowshoe because I don't want to roll my ankle. Uh, you know, plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah, same with me. It's sort of like, um, I don't want to get political, but like I've sort of evolved. Like, and again, I've, I've done everything that's been asked of me, but like with masks now, I'm sort of at the point where it's like, okay, well, if you need a mask, like wear a mask for COVID, I sort of look at it the same way with um, the snowshoes. It's like, if you're concerned about rolling your ankle, like it doesn't matter what that person is if they're building up a post hole. In 90% of the scenario, like even if it is post hold, like you've got your snowshoes on, you're going to be okay. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, but I highly recommend the Hancocks. It was, um, it was a great day. It's got great views. I'm going to chalk it up as an easier hike on the easier side, but I also don't discount the mileage. So, it is a long distance hike. You know, you're talking 10 miles total. Yeah for that loop. So even though it's easy miles, it, some people just aren't ready for that, that distance. Mm. I'd like to get back there again. Yeah, dude, that sounds like a great hike. I'll, I'll do that with you. Oh, sure. That'd be fun. Huntington. I can, I I can promise you it's not going to be very difficult unless we get hammered by another foot of snow or something. But, um, you know, going from, 2,500 feet up to 37 is not that bad if you're just taking your time and having fun with it. And on the way down, you're just skiing down. It's a lot of fun. Bag the register and split. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right, so now we're moving on to the next segment here, which is recent search and rescue news. And we're going to be calling this the the death... um, segment because i think like every single link on here has somebody somebody dying yeah yeah and we've we had a legit rescue no well or a recovery i suppose at this point but um there was finally some activity that didn't involve a snowmobile (laughs) yeah yeah i mean we didn't even do any snowmobile stories this week but i think there's got to be we did about 10 or 15 snowmobile stories the two episodes ago and there's been or maybe one episode ago there's probably been five or six more incredible a couple DWIs too. I saw that. Yeah, that's that's local guys. the ultimate shame. Yeah, I mean, I you can't mess around with them. These are freaking machines. You know, it's not the place to yeah. be bombed. 
All right. So um, first one is local, uh, unfortunate story here. So this is, um, I'm reading the WMUR article. So an ice climber collapsed while hiking up a mountain and did not respond to efforts from his group to revive him. Uh, the New Hampshire Fishing Game Department said so. There was a it was a 67 year old man from Florida. Um, he was um, making his way up Mount Willard to go ice climbing on Friday morning. So uh, members of his group immediately began CPR and continued to attempt to revive him for over an hour. And then members of the Mountain Rescue Service and Bartlett Jackson Ambulance Service and Twin Mountain Fire also responded. So. I think that that's a very popular like ice climbing area. Um, my impression is they always like hike over the railroad tracks and then climb up. But maybe he was climbing up Willard with a plan to uh, repel or descend. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure. That that's what I thought of as well. Um, possibly to uh, set up rope up top and then you know for people that are coming up from down below. Um, I don't know. Yeah, not yeah so that sucks. I mean, Mount Willard is generally considered like in on the easier side, but if you have a medical condition, it, the, the medical condition doesn't care whether the hike is easy or difficult. It just it's going to show up. Yeah. So unfortunately, recovery. All right. So um, you know, sad story. Hopefully, you know, all our thoughts and prayers go out to the family and. It's definitely a difficult, difficult thing when you're out there just looking to have a fun day and that happens. So, all right, this next one here, Jesus, stomp. that's a dead, These that's, that's a dead link because it, it, that, that link that I sent you was eight people died due to Austrian avalanches. It's gone up to nine as of the seventh. Oh, really? Yeah. Nine people dead after weekend avalanches in Austria. Unbelievable. Wow. In the Alps. That's crazy. Wow. Did they, are they, they were climbing or were they backcountry skiing or what was the story? Um, let's see. They were getting ready. They were, they were skiers. Um, there was a guide from Austria leading a group of five from Sweden down a mountain when they were swept away by a 350 to 400 meter wide slab avalanche. That is massive. Yeah, yeah, that's scary. Yeah. And they said that um, they said even like a small little tremor um, can trigger a snow slide. Like they said, it doesn't take much. Yeah, the victims were all in their forties. Interesting location, right at the uh, Austrian Swiss border. But um, yeah, that's awful. That's a that's a lot of people. Yeah, that is uh, pretty scary there. And I've watched um, I've watched a couple of shows about um, the Swiss Alps and I think I forget the name of the TV show but there is a Swiss search and rescue team I think it's ears or Matt is they considered like the world's best aerial search and rescue team and that they spend all day like you guys go out to um, falling waters like they spend all day hopping in the in the helicopter and pulling people out of crevasses in the Alps <laughs> that are like backcountry skiers. It's crazy. I think I saw the first episode, um, which is pretty intense. They start off with a bang. Do you recall that? Yeah. 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 The guy, I think in the episode you're talking about the guy's backcountry skier falls into a crevice and he's just basically, I think bleeding out and they've got to fly to, to save him. And they had to set up like a big, tri uh, like a big tripod to pull him out. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a dangerous day, but I definitely want to check out the Alps. And I think we got to get Martin back on. I think he's got a lot of experience in that area, so we can talk to him about it. All right. Next one is in Colorado. So we're we're going around the world. So two snowshoers and a dog killed in a Colorado avalanche. So bodies of two people and a dog were killed when they were buried by a 400-foot wide avalanche while snowshoeing in the Colorado mountains. Bodies were, they were missing and then the bodies have been recovered. So a man and woman were found on Sunday at the 11 or 12,000 foot level of North Star Mountain, about 90 miles west of Denver, when a search dog detected their bodies buried in the snow. Um, The snowboarders and their dog were reported missing on Saturday when they didn't return from their outing. Um, Summit County coroner, uh, coroner identified the victims as a 25-year-old female and a 35-year-old man from Colorado Springs, and their dog's name was Valerie, was also found um, in the avalanche and deceased. So uh, accidental death, blunt force trauma, and asphyxiation due to avalanche of snow and debris. Yeah, that's awful. So That's a shame. They had like 35 members of a volunteer rescue group out there that uh, that launched a search. Have you ever been on a search where they've had that, like an active dog helping out? Oh yeah, many. Yeah, what, the one that comes to mind right off the bat is the search for uh, the Dartmouth student. We had dogs. Oh yeah, all over that mountain looking around. Um, yeah, many times. Dogs are cool, yeah. man. But you've never done. Have you, have you? You've never done an avalanche rescue, right? No, no, I have not. Yeah. Well, this one, I guess they use an avalanche rescue dog, and the dog was actually able to locate the snowshoers and their dog, mm. and they were all completely buried. So I don't know how they train the dog to smell, but the dog must be able to like smell them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if anybody's interested, do some research about New England canine. They provide a lot of the uh, canines for searches in the area, and uh, they run one hell of an operation. I know they have a nice website up there, so you can check it out. And their dogs are beautiful. Oh, Yeah, I know. I I want a dog. My wife has still not let me have one. (laughs) It's bullshit. (laughs) Anyway, um, so this next one brings us to Seattle again, another avalanche. So um, this is skiers. So a witness reported six skiers were swept up in an avalanche in the Silver Basin area in Crystal Mountain. They were backcountry skiing on Saturday. All six were wearing avalanche beacons and were quickly located. Um, All of them were pulled out of the snow, but one person was not breathing. So this guy was in his 60s and unfortunately passed away. So the skiers went uphill. They they triggered the snow slide in an area that wasn't mitigated for avalanches and wasn't open for ski season. So I don't know what that means, that they're going to get in trouble for being there or what the story is. I don't know what the rules are around the... um, around when they open up mountains out there in the West, but they said it was it was pretty heavy winds there and they triggered an avalanche. Mm-hmm. So said around 150 people a year are killed on average in avalanches with about 30 of those in the U.S. So I think this episode has covered a bunch of them. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to do these next two? <laughs> I don't even know if this one should be in here. It's a Russian death. I think it's some random... I think it's... It's connected to industry rather than recreation. Uh, in Moscow, okay. there was an av- it, there was an avalanche at a mining company, and apparently, 
is question as to whether or not a work was triggering the avalanche by dismantling dismantling a pipe at this coal mine and um, provoked the avalanche. Um, two workers got buried, one died. Um, I guess it's in the mix because it's avalanche season. Um, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's very weird. Yeah. Like it's going to be like a criminal court case. <laughs> yeah, because um, the safety, like oh, basically Russians' version of OSHA, is like they didn't follow the right safety re- regulations. So I don't know. Yeah, there's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> there definitely is. So, uh, oh, I can't believe you did that. You put the boy in the well story in here. Yeah, you can't put the boy in the well. Well, you know what? I didn't know that he actually passed. When I read the story, he was rescued, and then I read the update, and my heart broke. I'm like, damn it! Oh, so you've been following this one? I've been following this one, but I feel like. The boy fall, or the per, the kid falling in the well is like a story that happens like consistently every ten to fifteen years <laughs> total, around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's like the same thing as the miners. Like, there's always <laughs> miners getting trapped, and the whole world is watching. Like it, that, those I feel like they alternate every fifteen years or so. It's like either miners getting trapped, or there's a kid that falls down like a little pipe or a well. Yeah, you're right. But hey, you know, a moment of silence for this little guy. Hundred, yeah. what was it? A uh, hundred, hundred foot deep well. That oh, he fell I can't into. even imagine. Yeah. Can't even imagine. And they, I guess they were trying to use heavy equipment to dig, uh, you know, side tunnels to get to this young boy who was, he had, you know, serious injuries, bodily injury and survived for what, three or four days. And they were having difficulty because if they dug too close, they would trigger landslide. So it was a terrible situation. So my heart breaks for this little guy. That's that's always an awful story. Oh, it's horrendous. Yeah. It's horrendous. I don't understand. What do these wells do? What's the purpose of them? Like, why is there a hole in the ground that a kid can fall into? Yeah. Awful. Race against time. I don't understand that. Yep. So, um, all right. So let's at least end this with a positive story <laughs> about a puppy being saved. Yeah. You want to? So I'll post this in the show notes. This but, is a good one. Um. Is this guy blind? What is it? What is what's wrong with this? This puppy looks like a like a slow puppy. <laughs> He's just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. He with looks love. blind anyway. All right, so I'll I'll post the picture on this. But this looks like a bl- this dog is not opening his eyes. It's a Jack Russell Terrier mix named Millie. So um, next time someone tells you to lay off the this is from Instagram. Next time someone tells you to lay off the sausage, you can simply remind them that sausage literally saves lives. Well, Jack Russell Terrier mix named Millie slipped out of her leash and ran off. Uh, Jack Russell Terriers sort of strike me as like, I don't know, they just seem like difficult and like headstrong dogs. I don't know why I think that. Yeah, right. I know they are really cute though. They are cute, yeah. Um, so anyway, the dog panicked. And it became trapped in nearby mud flats. I don't know what a mud flat is, but I, I, I guess it's mud. <laughs> the dangerous terrain made it impossible for rescuers to reach Millie. And despite their best efforts, she remained stranded. So time was of the essence here. So the terrified terrier, <laughs> as the tide was quickly rising, um, it became important to rescue, rescue her. So the rescuers had to get Millie to higher ground. 
Otherwise, she would be swept away by waves. So skittish and untrusting of the well-intentioned strangers, the dumb dog refused to tread close enough for them to reach her. So the rescuers concocted a plan to use a drone that they were using to track the dog as well as a fragrant fragrant breakfast staple. So it was a crazy idea. This guy, Chris Taylor, who was chair of the Den Mead drone search and rescue team. Where is this? This sounds very British. Yeah, I think it's from the UK. It doesn't really yeah, go into it. it but, like uh, it. Yeah. So one of the local residents on the beach, they were flying... Um, drone. They were flying a drone, and the <coughs> local resident had sausages. And um, the woman cooked them up. <laughs> She's like, let me cook this up for your drone. And they attached it to the drone with a string... And then using the steaming sausages bait, Millie was able to follow the drone and the hungry hound briefly continued to evade capture following her sausage scramble. But eventually the owner got her and yeah, the rescuers used this highly successful sausage system to save the dog and they may, they may use it again. Yeah, see, not sausage a bad idea. <laughs> oh God, that was so bad. <laughs> the delivery on that was off not sausage yeah, bad idea <laughs> yeah that's not that's not a good one not a good one so I never saw such a thing <laughs> that was so bad so anyway but that's it it's uh, if you can't tell it's slow on the search and rescue news. yeah yeah not for long because right, so, what when is uh, spring coming uh, March, so we got another month. Oh, and a half. dude, it's coming! Spring it's coming, meltdown, yeah. mud, and broken ankles, and you name yeah. it, it's coming. But surprisingly, it has be been very, very uneventful. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? All right, so um, I'm gonna. I got something. We're gonna move on to a little New Hampshire oddity or New Hampshire history here. So Excellent. I bought a new book based on Stomp's recommendation, "Cruising New Hampshire History" by Michael Bruno. I got to reach out to this guy and see if he'll come on the podcast because oh, that'd I think be, fun. be interesting. But um, this is a book about all those green signs. So can you just talk about how cool New Hampshire is? By the way, You're right? Like, there's no other state that has like. Such a they, they just drop history everywhere. Yeah, it's neat. It's neat. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, Massachusetts has some cool stuff. Like they have Sturbridge Village and the Plymouth Rock, and you know, in Boston they have like a lot of cool stuff. But like New Hampshire, I love the green signs. I just love them. Oh yeah, they cover everything from just individuals to towns to bridges to everything. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm constantly finding new stuff. I had no idea about Camp Stark that we talked about before. That I didn't know about this one either. So. I had no idea that New Hampshire is right in the middle of the equator in the North Pole. So there is a green oh, sign that, point. that marks the the 45th parallel. Gotcha. So um, it says, as you stand at this point on the 45th parallel, you're halfway between the equator and the North Pole. So I had no idea that that was... So where's that location? Where's that sign? It is in... Um, West Stewartson, huh. and the sign was put in in 1970. Interesting. 
Do you know where Stewartson is? No, I'm not really sure. Look, I think it's in the White Mountains, but I'm not sure. Or maybe it's got to be far north. Possible, yeah. Lancaster area, yeah. maybe? Yeah, it's got to be um, far north. Yeah, West Stewart's town. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 way up there. Hmm. Way up there, a little bit to the left. Uh, a little bit to the, the west, I mean. So, anyway, so as you stand at this point on the 45th parallel, you're halfway between the equator and the North Pole. So, the territory which makes up Stewart's town was originally chartered by New Hampshire um, Governor John Wentworth in 1770, and then it was incorporated as Stewart in 1795, but the legality was challenged. Um, and I guess it is... Um, you know, it's the northernmost incorporated town along the Connecticut River, and it was a pretty busy port for um, for New Hampshire up there for a while. And, you know, it marks the, the halfway point between the equator and the North Pole. So hmm. I think that's very cool. I had no idea that New Hampshire was like the, the, the midpoint. Yeah, it's awesome. Great book. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great book. So I'll put that in the show notes and um, just wanted to throw that out there and tell you that I didn't realize it, but we're we're at halfway. <laughs> Maybe we, that can be our summer adventure. Make it to the uh, North Pole. Cool. All right, man. Well, I want to let you go, Stomp. I know you're not feeling well. I appreciate you sticking it out. Yeah, yeah. man. Getting there. Yeah. I call this a wrap. Have a good night. You too. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.